Hi, um, I'm Kristen Heilman, Assistant Curator at the Hirshhorn Museum, and I'm talking with John Baldessari, um, an artist who is working on a project here at the museum um, with our permanent collection. He'll be curating a selection of works for our lower level galleries, and that will go on view on Wednesday, July 26, 2006. And um, we also are very lucky to have received um, four works by John as a gift of the Glenstone Foundation. And I think that's where I'd like to start our discussion. Um, if you could just give us a sense of um, how these four works sort of fit into the earlier part of your career. Maybe you could go step by step through the sure. works. Why don't you name Sure. And so, <laughs> so the first piece is Exhibiting Paintings. And that was done in 1967, 68. Um, that was a work of a body of work that involved pieces that were text only, as that is, or, or text uh, and photograph, a photographic image. Uh, and they are on canvas. Uh, the photographic process is not silkscreen, but liquid emulsion. A photographic emulsion uh, and the text uh, is done by a sign painter who has who had instructions not to try to make it art out of it but just you know to provide information like a for rent sign or keep off the grass or whatever uh, and and the base color uh, are usually just uh, white gesso or in this case I, I use uh, colors that I would call landlord colors you know the kind of colors that uh, landlords paint departments with <laughs> and they're usually you know obnoxious I think that's kind of a peach color yeah. I think like sorry call uh, and uh, the texts were uh, there there all uh, usually all found appropriated texts taken from you know just usually reading about art and uh, I would collect these books that were the primers about art I just always kind of loved how art was explained to people and and, and this is a, a book about I guess it, you know, for, for aspiring artists, and then this a section about uh, exhibiting art, and I just thought it was so. <laughs> sort of, it's true, but you know, and <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and I just like it, like its obviousness, uh, and and I like the idea that that work was on would be on exhibit while you're reading about a work being on, on exhibit. And ideally, that work would always be in a group show because then it kind of comments on the process of a, of a group show. Yeah, it was interesting though because it's up at the museum right now where mm -hmm. it's hanging, mm -hmm. and it was um, it's actually sort of isolated because it's very hard to make <laughs> oh, a, a decision about, <laughs> put about putting it next yeah, to something. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, it, it makes me also wonder um, because it, that that work will be up while your exhibition that you've curated is up and um, I, I'm sort of breaking from our, our path or our, uh, plan of discussion but maybe it's the right time to sort of ask 
how your philosophy of putting together a show and hanging <laughs> paintings either relates or doesn't relate to uh, the well, statement of exhibiting paintings. Yeah. I'm not the best, I mean, of installation. Uh, the most obvious one is because I'm so tall that th th things always look low to me when they're hung, you know, so I always just tell the gallery staff or museum staff that, you know, whatever their eye level, or usually it's an established eye level or whatever. Um, and I'm terrible at lighting, I just want, well, I don't know, just so you can really see it, you know, nothing dramatic, you know, with spotlights or whatever. Um, but but as for, you know, organizing, learning out the show, in the last few years I've gotten more methodical, I think, about it uh, than where I've actually built models of the space. And, and then I uh, miniaturized the works to scale uh, and, and move them around so I can begin to to get some idea of how things might look that I'm it's not going to be a total you know bafflement once I get there I uh, when it's a, a space I've never seen before I'm insistent that I do see the space but it's more than this scene it's about experiencing it you know just getting the feel of it you know, and the, and, the, and the city in which that space occupies mm -hmm. um, and Plans seem to be lost on me. <laughs> I said, "Oh, nice drawing," <laughs> uh, but I mean, I just don't. I, you know, I, don't, I have a hard time getting the sense of you know. So that's why I have a model, you know, uh, built, and and that and then uh, once I'm there, I I do have this kind of. I think it's a wise approach where people that run that space or work in that space. They know the space better than I do, you know, so I really do tend to listen to them about, you know, how things work. And if I think something's egregiously wrong, you know, in my mind, I say, well, I don't think that should happen, or I don't think this should happen. So it tends to be a, a, a really a, a collaboration when uh, things get hung. I, I just did a show in a private gallery in Paris, uh, Marion Goodman, and and I thought it was a piece of cake, you know, it was just like old works from the 80s. And I laid it out, and once I was there, you know, sometimes it, it doesn't work like you should think it might in the layout, but then I made some changes, and working with her gallery director, and then she came in later, and she had some ideas, and I'm, you know, about Shane. I just groaning, oh no, uh, because I actually was pretty satisfied. But, but again, I think it's wise to listen, and and and, and uh, she was right. I mean, mm -hmm. her her idea was better than mine, you know, and it looked a lot better. So I, I think it's like that. Yeah, it's a bit of a give and take. Mm -hmm. Well, so to, to jump back to your own work, mm -hmm. um, the, the second piece that uh, was recently given to the museum is the cremation project, Corpus yes. Wafer, yes. Um, and that's from 1970. And yes. can you can you talk about the sure. whole the sure. whole um, process yeah. of that? that well, piece? you know, now we, you, you know, as I even think about it, I have to smile. You know, uh, back then it made complete sense. Uh -huh. And it, it certainly is evidence that people do change. I just couldn't ever imagine doing that now. 
But here, here was the situation. Uh, I was a painter, and, uh, and my studio at the time and it was a vacant movie theater. Uh, and you know the Peter principle takes over, and you f f fill the available space. And and so after a while, there were you know paintings all over. You know, I wasn't selling anything, but I was painting. <laughs> uh, and I think I just be you begin to feel really uneasy that, especially you know, looking around at my paintings, that maybe I just you know being slightly depressed by the whole thing, uh, that uh, if I did those number of paintings in X number of years, then, you know, in a greater number of years, my God, the number of paintings I would have, given the thing, you know, that there would be a steady state and I wouldn't sell things, but, you know, maybe just trade things with friends, you know, that. Well, that was number one. And then number two, uh, uh, that I didn't coin it, but I, you know, sometimes I, when I, I desperately think it's, when I think of desperation, it might be true that from a certain distance, panel paintings look alike. Uh, you know, they're rectangles or squares, and they have colors inside of them. You know, but and then you know, and then then the, they're fine-tuned. Things change. You know, but I mean, that's a really cynical view of painting, uh, but. I thought, well, there's got to be more than art than this. I mean, I wasn't sure, but I said, there just has to be more. But I think that kind of unrest and unease was going on in a lot of artists' minds at, the, at that moment in the mid-60s, they ran on there. Uh, okay. So, I said, well, and, and also, you know, the, you know the, 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 the aesthetic at the time was, Abstract expressionism, the work is the, the process of doing it. So I said, well, you know, I've had all these experiences. I really don't need these paintings. Uh, and uh, I, I could just have a photographic you know, record of it, a slide. And so I, 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 I photographed everything. Uh, and I said, well, that, now why, why don't you, you know, why don't I, I don't need these paintings. So I had this idea of atomizing somehow and making things smaller, uh, and I thought, well, what I'll, I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll make, you know, like that's maybe too many spy movies, but I'll make photographic micro dots, you know, and then put them behind stamps and mail them to friends, <laughs> and that's, you know, wacko ideas like that. But the idea of atomization, you know, took over, and I said, well, if I could just, you know, somehow granulate it somehow. And I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll just burn them, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, and I'll have ashes. And, I, you know, that began to appeal to me because then, I, you know, I got thinking of, you know, some sort of, like, Nietzschean eternal return, you know, that, well, the painting is done at this point of the wheel, uh, but it's from pigments taken out of the earth, but if it moves this way, you know, it, 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 atomization and going back into the earth, and it becomes pigment and keeps on going around, right? Mm -hmm. Keeps on becoming painting materials. So kind of like that. Uh, and and uh, and then I th then I thought I uh, somehow I had to make a ritual out of it, and I had the idea of 
cremation because you know you talk about a body of work uh, and and uh, and I do really do believe you know one's work is is you is you know it's, it's me um, and and then I had these ideas you know of the phoenix arising from the ashes and blah 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 and then rebirth and I said so I said well you know this thing yeah he's a tank I'll just cremate them. Well, it's not that easy, you know. You don't go around to mortuaries and say, "Guess what? You know, my paintings died." <laughs> uh, and they're going to say, "Yeah, you're telling me <laughs> the worst paintings I've ever seen." <laughs> uh, uh, but it, you know, you know. But then I finally, I guess they needed the business, and they said, "You know, if I did." Would do it at night when they we were needed not doing things, and I like that kind of macabre aspect to it, you know. And, and then it turned out the guy that that actually did the cremation, uh, he was an art student, he was, and he really kind of got into it, and and uh, so that was fun. Um, and then my total take, they have these little gray, well, that crematorium, the cardboard boxes about that long, 12 inches long, maybe two and a half inches deep, and about maybe eight inches wide. Uh, and and uh, if you fill that with ashes, that would be one adult. And then they had smaller size boxes, which were for babies mm. or for limbs. They actually cremate, you know, uh, amputated limbs. So my my total over at that time was nine and a half boxes. Wow. Okay. So that was that part of the creation. And then I, you know, the idea of getting back in the ground, I said, well, you know, I'll make cookies out of them, and then people will eat them, and they'll, they'll be shed out and into the earth, and that's it. And that's how the cookies came about. And did people eat them? One person uh, did, and I thought he was pretty brave, you know. <laughs> But then there was a lot of drug use back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the other aspect of the piece is that there's um, there are documents that accompany it, right? Oh, sure, yeah. And what yeah. was important about documenting it, uh, sort of? Well, that that in fact did happen, yeah. you know. And I and I I made, I I made a legal notice, had it notarized, had it printed in a newspaper. And why? Well, I think my reasoning at the time was that. If you're going to do something, in this case, stop painting. Uh, it's like if you're going on a diet, you have to tell people. Mm -hmm. Well, why? Because then it's pretty hard not to stop dieting because they're only going to remind you that you're eating or eating again. And you're back in your same old diet. So I said, well, if I make it a public act, then if I then start painting again, people say, oh, well, didn't you say you're not going to paint anymore? So. At the time, it seemed, you know, quite reasonable. Uh -huh. uh, and then I had made a, not made, you can choose. And I had never thought about that until they asked me at the mortuary, well, we have all of these urns for ashes. Are you going to have an urn? I urn, urn. And I said, well, I'll you know, take a look. Uh, and they had one in the shape of a book. And I said, well, that's cool. I can put it on my library shelf. Uh, so we filled that with some of the ashes in, into it, uh, and then, and then what? Oh yeah, and then it was the first exhibition 
of conceptual art in the U.S. at a Jewish museum in New York. It was called Software. And I had just done, you know, done this, and and I said, well, can that be my work? I said, well, fine. I said, well, what I want to do then is uh, really inter the ashes inside the wall, and just hide them, and then on the outside of the wall have a a, a plaque like you have in a mausoleum, mm-hmm. my name, and you know when I started painting, when I stopped painting, and fine, you know, uh, and, and and then then photo one would see the photographs, you know, in the legal document, uh, and uh, then all of a sudden they. That one of the trustees said she would withdraw all her funding if that happened. Really? Uh, and, well, you know, oh, what are you going to do on that one? You can't fight City Hall or whatever. So they, they put him in a fake wall, and then after the show, and I got him back. But I really had hoped that, the, you know, the urn would be there in the wall for, forever. Nobody would know, but I would know, you know, right. that's the only thing. Well, so that leads me to ask. Oh, and then and the cookies thing. Uh-huh. Sorry, and, and then very shortly afterwards, then MoMA um, uh, had a show called Information, and that was my piece for the MoMA show uh-huh. for the cookies. Well, so this leads me to ask: um, exhibiting paintings was made before the cremation project, yes. right? So, do you consider that not a painting or something different? Well, I, I, I guess um, uh, the way I interpreted it was that any the cutoff point was paintings of things done by my own hand, and all those paintings I didn't—I can't say I didn't touch them; I did pick them up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but stretcher bars were built by somebody. The you know the base coat, the lettering, the, everything was done by somebody else. I really didn't consider them paintings. So would they fall more into a conceptual category for you? Well, they're called paintings now, which I think is pretty funny. Uh-huh. Uh, but I never called them paintings at the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I only put, I put them on a canvas so they could get in t- inside the door of a gallery or museum because if it's something's on canvas, what else is it going to be? Right. You know, and that's, that's the signal. But, I mean, I, you know, I can't, I gave up trying to say they're not paintings. <laughs> Just go with the flow. <laughs> well, okay, so the, then the next work um, is from 1973, and this is Songs 1, Sky, Sea, Sand. Right. And um, I think it might be interesting for you to explain a little bit about sure. the system for making it. Sure. Um, that was for an installation at the University of California, uh, at Irvine, California, UCI. Uh, I had done, prior to that, uh, works where a lot, well, it started by just throwing the ball up in the air. And uh, that was done for an exhibition, also at MoMA, a group show of conceptual art. And, and, called Pier 18, but you sort of appear in New York, and you would do some work, each artist would do some work there, and they would have, and it would all be photographic documentation. And a very famous photographer, art photographer, Shunk and Kinder, who did the ones of, of um, 
of, of Eve Klein flying out of the window, you know, those pieces. Uh, and so I said, well, you know, my, my mind was such that I had to do something that where it won't be their work, it'll be mine. So I said, well, you know, so I thought, well, I'll throw a ball up in the air and and they have to, and my instructions to them is that they're going to have to have the image of the ball right in the middle of the photograph. So it's almost like shooting. So they really couldn't compose and at all. You just have to try to get it in the middle of the image. So that started that. And then I did another, and I, I went on with it in a, in a commercial gallery in Milan, where I did a whole row of them, where I made a chalk line, a snap chalk line on the wall from you know, maybe 50 feet. And and then I hung them, up, put them on the wall in the sequence in which they were taken. Uh, and the line going behind would have to go through the ball, the image of the ball. So all the images would go like this. Mm -hmm. And then they began to look like very much like musical notation. Uh, and uh, and I was very much influenced by music at the time. Uh, because it went, I was at the University of California, San Diego, which had incredible uh, music department, and, and then at CalArts, which had incredible music department, and just being more and more influenced by, you know, being back-to-back -back with those departments. So I, I, th I really then thought about musical uh, notation, and then went down to the beach and had... I don't, I don't know if I did it or somebody else, I guess it doesn't matter, throwing a red ball up in the air and then somebody photographing it. And then I had, I think, I had three zones established. The sky was one zone, so, and then the ocean was another zone, and the sand or surf was another, a third zone. And, and, uh, then if the ball fell within the sky zone, it would be in, on, 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 on one octave uh, and then on down the line. Mm -hmm. And they would be in the sequence in which they were shot. Mm -hmm. And then they would look like, you know, really a musical composition. And did, did you use every photograph that was taken or did you make a, a selection? I mean, is it No, it's in several sections. Uh -huh. And I don't know how much of it you have, but all, but it's that is all in sequence. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well and then the final work um, is from 1978, and that's Blasted Allegories, black and white sentence, red to what is red all over, and black and white. <laughs> so, I don't know if I can even begin to explain it, but I'll make an attempt. Uh, uh, well... You could start with just talking about the series, the Blasted Out. Yeah, I, 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 I really will have to. Um, very much involved and, and, and still with, with language <clears throat> uh, to the point where I've said a word and an image, is, uh, they're of equal value to me. One is a surrogate for the other, a substitute. Uh, 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 that's okay, that's number one. And number two, I am very much involved with structuralist mythology, 
and language play. Uh, number three, I'm, I'm very much trying to avoid uh, intuitive art, you know, like this color goes well next to this color, or, you know, making a composition in that way. Uh, so I began to, to formulate my visual dictionaries <coughs> uh, uh, with found photographs, a lot uh, of, of photographs taken off of television, and, and that not in any aesthetic manner, I would just have a camera set up with a, on a tripod with something that was called an intervalometer where you can it'll trigger the shutter at, 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 at a preordained interval like every five minutes, every ten minutes or so on. So I would come into the studio in the morning and I would pick a channel and say every, set it for every five minutes and at the end of the day I'd take the film out and it would, so it would just capture any, whatever it was at that moment <coughs> and then develop the film big prints and an assistant of mine would try to find a a verbal equivalent for it. Um, we have a, you know, there's a picture of a boat and then back boat. You know, some some of them were a little bit more difficult, of course, and, and you know, and, and subjective. Uh, and then began doing them in single color by just using a filter over the lens, so I'd have a whole series of red ones, orange ones, blue ones, you know, through the color spectrum, and then a whole series of, of full color. So I had primary and secondary six categories there, black and white, seven color, full color, eight categories. Uh, and then they all had uh, attendant words, uh, and then they were all alphabetized, you know, all the A words, B words, you know, so it'd be like all, all the red photographs alphabetized, all the blue photographs alphabetized. So I had all these lexicons sort of that I, I could draw from. Uh, and then I began to invent language games, you know, that. So if I might just take a sentence and then uh, find, you know, try, find those words and then use those images. And the, and the those images would be together because of those words. And no other reason, mm -hmm. things like that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, the, and the rules for the game are, are written on the piece, but, and I would have to go back really and look at that mm -hmm. one. But essentially, that was the, the governing sort of principles of all of it. And, and I think, I mean, I think that's interesting to sort of lead to the next segment of questions I have, which are trying to understand how your artistic practice might influence or carry over onto your curatorial practice. <laughs> well, I don't know right now. Uh, uh, what I'm doing here, uh, just going at it very broadly and, and, and simply picking things for whatever reason I like. Mm -hmm. So it's very much akin to where I would be a scavenger, look, going through boxes and boxes of random photographs and saying, well, I like this, I'm not sure why. Mm -hmm. And then later I would you know, begin to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm just at the initial stages. I can tell you kind of some things that are happening, yeah. uh, and you probably noticed uh, that there are, ca there are cases where 
the, the face of a figure is obscured, which is something that I do in my own work to destabilize the image. You know, usually the head is the most important, and I try to change that. So if you can't see what's important, then you can look, you know, somewhere else. And there are like the Aikens one with a head and shadow, and there's another Aikens one where the faces is really kind of obscured. We saw yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like that, anyway. Uh, the, and then there are just some, you know, because I've really, you know, over the years I've really, really have thought a lot about what makes art. <laughs> and some things I think are just, you know, kind of fundamental. So I'm mean, you know, Ed Reinhardt, which is just, you know, a, a monochromatic pretty much surface. Uh, things that are. Uh, you know, just kind of very basic color, maybe two colors, like an Ellsworth Kelly uh, uh, piece. Uh, uh, Things that... that... the one we... the figure on the couch we found with the Mm -hmm, shoes, mm -hmm. I don't even know the name of that. I think it was Emily Kaufman is the artist. Kaufman, that was it. And that struck me because how one? How did they get in the collection? <laughs> and and, but it has a kind of you know, I mean, it's kind of a wonderful piece, I, you know, and it's, it's kind of timely right now. And I remember the first time I saw a Dick God dancer with a tutu on, and I, you know, I said, wow, this makes so much sense putting clothing on the statue. Mm-hmm. And here you have these shoes on this woman, and you know, on this couch, and I. So I really like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like simple things like the man ray of uh, uh, blue loaf, you know, just completely altering the the color, you know, that of the, the signal co- yeah. the signal color of the red is gone, but you do have the shape of the red, yeah. uh, you know. And and uh, lately, I've been fascinated with noses, and you know, I was looking for going through the Degas pieces for. For caricatures of you know people and and nose is a great thing to use in the caricature. Uh, and what what are some things you've noticed that I've been doing? Well, I, I mean, I thought it was interesting. Um, it seemed that early on, as you were try, trying to identify things that you wanted to see during this visit, mm-hmm. that um, Marston Hartley and Arthur Dove and yeah, John the, Avery those, came those, up. The, the, those early um, American painters I've always liked because they were kind of drawing from uh, German Expressionist painters, and but in an American vein and kind of being very simple and very sturdy and very basic. So I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you looked at a pop heart image of centaurs and nymphs, and there was also an Alshamius of sort yeah, of Yeah, and I like those that kind of almost thing. looked like outsider art. They look very innocent. It, you know, they're not sophisticated, and I always have, have had a weakness for that kind of art where it's just, you know, you're pouring out your soul somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and so how, I mean, how would you... But then again, I can really like something that's so completely anal, like Ed Reinhardt. Well, this is that was exactly exactly what I was going to ask: is how how you sort of (laughs) okay? There you go. It's all in the stars. (laughs) Because I think it'll be really interesting to see how you develop um, the relationships and make decisions about what sits next to each other on the walls. I I think so too. 
Because that sends, that's, that's definitely sends a message. She'd like to, Brandy, you know, there's somebody that's very sophisticated, but he looks, you know, like he could be out of an adult painting class, you know, but, I mean, you know, he's just painted that, those same things over and over and over again. They're, they're quite, quite beautiful. Okay, then I thought, well, I don't want to be too didactic, but, you know, It'd be nice to put that by the little Pato, uh, you know, still life, you know, of things on the shelf, and who's also, you know, very simple like Morandi, but he was an American counterpart, you know. That you know, that might be just too pushy. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, when you're talking about the blasted allegories and how you built a system to deal with that kind of information. Mm -hmm. And here you're faced with a situation where there's nearly 12,000 objects in the collection, and in a way you have to build a, sim a system exactly, to yeah, yeah. access that information and categorize yeah, exactly. it. Is it. Is it similar at all? Or? I think it is. You know, I, I actually had an exercise I had students do uh, that I would have two tables in, a, in an empty room and then we would videotape and knew what went on and one student at a time would go on and on one table would just be piled with all this junk you know from the stuff all jumbled and the other table would be vacant and the only instructions to the students what would be they would have to move it to the other table and organize it uh, and then we you know then we would we would observe, you know, their ordering system. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, there's so many ways you can organize things. Yeah. But it's so basic to art. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you put a structure on random information, or seemingly random? Yeah, and I think it's also interesting to, to make people aware that there always is a structure ordering the information that they're yeah. they're seeing. Yeah, even no order is order. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, and two, uh, you know, one one of the other things I was thinking about in relationship to your work and sort of the process of acting as a curator in a museum, I mean, it seems that a museum is also a place where images and words come together. I mean, it might not be so explicit as in your work, but um, there are the words of the catalogs, words of brochures, um, and words of labels that are, exist in relationship to the images well, on the walls. Well, but even more importantly, the museums are tastemakers, mm -hmm. and, and that's something you know that you know, I'm, you know I cannot help but be aware of. You know, like who said this was any good? You know, well, somebody here did at some point. Mm -hmm. You know. I may agree or I may not agree, you know, so it's always different value systems in collision. Right. Or in dialogue is probably better. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and you've done curatorial work in museums before. I have, yes. A, a project at MoMA, right? Yes, and yes. also at LA MOCA, isn't that right? Uh, at, uh, yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, how did those experiences differ, or were they similar to, to what? I don't think they're, they're differing. Uh, uh, actually, at, 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 at uh, MoMA, it was a series called Artists Select, and you could simply show the art you selected, or you could actually make art out of the art, and I elected to do the latter, of just making a, a work uh, out of pieces, and, and not just the pieces, but parts. 
So I would, you know, go through the collection. If I see it, saw a certain section I like, and maybe it would be a boat or something like that. Uh, you know, and then so I, I just photograph everything, and I would just cut out the boat. Uh, and and so, I mean, you know, a giant composition out of elements from works from their collection, and then we displayed also the full images of all the works and sometimes the paintings too. Mm-hmm. And did you do any wall text for those kinds of exhibitions? And what are your feelings on on wall text that ex- explain to people what they're seeing? Well, there was a there was an attendant brochure and uh, a, uh, a movie when I'm talking with Kirk Rodeau about what I did. Um, uh, I don't know, you know, I really don't remember how it certainly wasn't very visually obvious if, if there were. I think it was maybe what this might have been the brochure, mm-hmm. I think. And would you see wanting to use text to explain decisions that you make here at the Hirshhorn? Or do you feel like you want the viewer to, to figure I, out I, the I think I'm just a little bit too early on. You know, I, if I, I, I think I'm, I'm being totally obscure, yes, probably. Yeah. If you know, but I, on the other hand, I have a fear of being overly didactic. Also, then you really wouldn't need anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another question I have is: as you went through storage the other day, mm-hmm. was there anything that surprised you? I mean, you know, you've, you're getting an opportunity um, that our general visitor doesn't have to sort of see the larger mm-hmm. pool of things available to go on view. And I'm, I'm just wondering if there are any things about the Hirshhorn collection that were unexpected to you or interesting well, to you. Well, you know, it, 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 you know, it, it, you, there's so little time, you know, of course, I, you know, I'm so anal, I would have, you know, pulled out everything and looked at it, but, you, you know, I can't. Right. And, and it's more, more of the frustration of, Thinking that you're going to bypass something that's really wonderful, and because you just you you just don't have the time. Right, right. And and two another um, question I've been thinking about is both in terms of your own work and in terms of the project that you're you're doing here with the permanent collection. Do you ever? Visualize or think of an ideal viewer. I mean, when you're when you're making things or making decisions about what to put on the wall, do you imagine who will be looking at them? Well, it's always a compass composite, isn't it, viewer? I think, uh, and uh, I've learned a lot by having you know having taught for so many years about how to about communication, you know, and how in connecting. Um, and I, 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 I think in, in, in teaching I've always used the attitude that I, I, I can't lose, you know, the most naive student where, you know, they're feeling lost. But I can't be so simple, I've lost the most sophisticated student. So, there's a real paradox going on there, and you you kind of have to aim for the middle. And, and, well, not even aiming for the middle, but you just have to be so aware of that paradox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and then when it comes to 
to doing my own work. I mean, I don't have that attitude that I, some of my friends back in the old days used to have a early conceptual art, like, you know, kind of screw the bourgeoisie, you know, it's not for them anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, 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 I'm against that. I, I do think art is about communication. I mean, I, I can't imagine any art artist that does work and hides it away. I just, I, it's meant to be dis- discovered. I mean, you know, I, even Emily Dickinson, you know, I'm probably pretty aware that her works are going to be discovered. Uh, 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 so if that's the case, you know, then you know, how do you how, how do you how do you approach that? And I, I a couple of role models that provided answers for me, uh, to, uh, Giotto, um, Matisse, where on one hand, like you know, the murals in the in Padua, uh, the uh, the Rena Chapel, they're they're like comic books. You know, that dominance anybody can get it. But then the most sophisticated art scholar, you know, can you know go on and on and write books about it. Matisse the same way. He looks perfectly obvious that oh, my kid can do that, but it's very sophisticated. So both paradoxes, but I think that's the answer. You know, I you know you do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't mean don't mean it. Make it sound easy, but that's what you hope for. No, it doesn't sound <laughs> easy at all. And, and does humor play into? A, I mean, is that a strategy for reaching and communicating with people? I I, I know what you're getting at. I never. Th- I, I always think humor is the uh, not the appropriate term. Uh-huh. Or, um, I, Wit, maybe. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe. Uh, for me, it's like, you know, I you know if I wanted to be funny, I, you know, I would I would be like Bill Wegman or somebody, uh-huh. you know. Uh, but I'm, I'm that's not my goal. I th- I think the it's to see the world in in a, in a slightly different way that makes you know that makes as much sense as the way we see it mm-hmm. you know and that makes p- people aware that there's no normalcy you know as you pointed out it's 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 you know that it's the you know the, the way we structured things are seen mm-hmm. um, I always remember uh an artist painter friend of mine that way back in classrooms where there were easels, <laughs> but uh, he, he always had his students stand on one foot while they painted. And then, well, you know, why? He said, well, so you, they would feel off balance. Good. And that would give them a different approach to their work. That's interesting. So is that funny? See, I don't know. It's, it's, it is funny when we hear about it, but he's mm-hmm. really serious. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, for instance, if you're looking at the collection and you're pulling out um, domiers with with large noses, mm-hmm. and you place them in, the, you know, in the ga- decide to place them in the gallery, if people can sort of recognize and relate to the character and the funny part of it, do you think that that opens up doors for them to think about something else? I think so. If I were to, you know, let's say to put the guy with a big nose next to an Ed Reinhardt, they would say, "What's he getting at?" Yeah. yeah. You know, but and I, I hope they would say there are different ways of looking, understanding things. Right. Well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's a great help to okay. uh, understanding.